homosexual activists will often criticize Christians for being inconsistent in the way we interpret the Bible. They say, you point to verses in the Old Testament against homosexuality, but then you ignore other verses in the Old Testament, like the ones that say we should stone homosexuals to death. How can you justify that kind of picking and choosing? Are we guilty of picking and choosing? We honor verses that say things like love God with all your heart in the Old Testament, but not verses that say we shouldn't wear clothes with two kinds of fabric. How do we discern which commands to obey and which don't apply? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. If you think that a passage in the Bible about circumcision is irrelevant to your life, uh, think again. I want to see if I can show you how relevant this really is. So let's start with this question. Why was circumcision set aside? Because it was definitely commanded in the Old Testament, right? It was. Genesis 17:10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Circumcision was a medical procedure performed on Jewish males where they would remove the foreskin from the male organ. And doing that procedure symbolized full devotion and loyalty and submissive obedience to the God of Israel. That's what it was all about. And it was the primary mark of Jewishness. And over time, the Jews began to develop disdain for the uncircumcised, for the Gentiles. They would often refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And they, and, and they would call they'd call Gentile dogs because dogs were unclean. They were an unclean animal. And the Jews would call the Gentiles dogs to highlight their uncleanness before God. And so all that to say that, that the Bible commanded circumcision. That is in the law, the Old Testament law. But if that's the case, why does Paul speak so negatively about it? I mean, like Galatians 5.2 is an example. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Why was it commanded by God and then now it's bad? And if, if, if circumcision is so bad, what does Paul mean here in Philippians 3 when he says, it is we who are the circumcision in, in verse 3? What's the relationship between the new spiritual people of God, the church, and the ethnic Israel that was the people of God in the Old Testament? What's the relationship between those? That question was by far the greatest controversy throughout the whole New Testament. When God commanded circumcision in the Old Testament, he said, this is an everlasting commandment. It was an absolutely non-negotiable thing for 2,000 years in their lives, in their Jewish existence. (laughs) After all that, this is not something that Jewish Christians are just going to set aside lightly. And the New Testament doesn't take it lightly. There is a lot of space in the New Testament devoted to showing us what an agonizing process this was for the early church to deal with. It wasn't like somebody just came along one day and one of the apostles said, Oh, by the way, we don't have to bother with circumcision anymore. And then everybody's like, "Oh, Oh, okay. No, no. It was a major controversy, and the argument became so heated and so severe that finally there was this giant conference in Acts 15, this council, where all the apostles and elders and rulers and everybody got together, and they came for this council to hammer this issue out. So everybody shows up, and all the sides make their speeches, and everyone makes their arguments, and then the apostles talk it over, and, and then they finally come to a conclusion. And here's what they said. They said, look, 
here's what we've observed. In this new thing with the Holy Spirit coming and everything, God's not making any distinction anymore between Jew and Gentile. He, the, the, the Gentiles are getting the same Holy Spirit that we're getting. They're getting the same manifestations. Everything's the same. And so uh, I guess Jewishness just isn't required anymore. And so circumcision is not required. And that was their verdict. Those portions of the Old Testament law that governed how to become Jewish, we don't have to do that stuff anymore. The only thing that's required to become one of the people of God now is knowing Christ, faith in Christ. Well, that conclusion did not sit well with a lot of folks. They didn't accept that decision. They didn't accept the apostles' conclusion. And they went around preaching, yes, uh, salvation is through Jesus. We believe in salvation through Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. You have to follow the kosher laws. You have to observe the holy days and live like a Jew. And so we call these people uh, Judaizers, and they just went around and wreaked havoc on the church. Even Peter and Barnabas were led astray at one point by them, and Paul had to rebuke Peter and set him straight. They just couldn't imagine that the Gentile dogs who were outside, they weren't Jews, and they didn't perform the works of the law. How could they possibly be numbered with God's holy people? And what they didn't understand is that even back in the Old Testament, when God commanded all these external things like circumcision and, and dietary laws, stuff, they were illustrations of internal realities, which is why the Bible talks so much about circumcision of the heart, even in, in Deuteronomy. If they would have understood that, then it wouldn't have been so unthinkable that God would bring about a new era and say, okay, now all the issues of the heart are still the same, but the external pictures are gone now. God wanted a new people... And this new people was not going to be an ethnic grouping in one ge- geographical location because he wanted this people to infiltrate the whole world, to bring salvation to the whole world. And so every part of the Old Testament law that had to do with external physical aspects ident- identifying one particular ethnic grouping now is set aside because we're not an ethnic grouping. We're a spiritual grouping. And so this gets to the question of why we consider some Old Testament laws binding and not others. Remember I told you I had to answer that last week. The moral law is binding on everybody at all times, in every country, at every time, in every context. Even in Old Testament times, it was binding on everybody. It wasn't just Israel that wasn't allowed to do murder and adultery and all that. God didn't want anybody committing adultery or lying or stealing or so on. So those moral laws applied universally. They're just as binding on us today as they ever were. No change. But there are some Old Testament laws that had a temporary purpose. We don't observe the sacrificial regulations of offering sacrifices in the temple anymore because that was fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. And we don't follow the uh, the national civil ordinances for governing a nation and governing the nation of Israel. Things like the tax code and the justice system and penalties for various crimes and property rights and contracts and law enforcement, all that kind of stuff. Those laws were never binding on any nation except for Israel. Even in ancient times, God didn't expect other nations to go by those. That was for the theocracy of Israel. And that's our answer to the question of why, you know, when people today say, hey, why do you condemn homosexuality because of the Bible, but then you don't stone homosexuals because the Bible says to do that? The answer is very simple. Homosexuality is evil because that's part of the moral law. The moral law says it's wrong. Punishments for various crimes, that's part of the civil law, the government law. 
regulation. Now, God's people are not a national entity, but a spiritual entity, and we're scattered among the nations, so God wants his people to just go by whatever civil laws are in that government where you happen to live. And that's very clear in Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. This is why you also pay taxes and so on. So for Christians living in the Roman Empire, God said, look, just go ahead and, and just go with, follow the laws of Rome rather than the Old Testament Jewish civil laws. Just go with the Roman ones. So there's nothing inconsistent about us saying homosexuality is wrong morally, and yet we don't stone anybody for it because... It's wrong morally because it violates, the Bible says it violates God's purposes in marriage. But as Christians, it's not our place to punish it as a crime, a civil crime, because law enforcement codes of the Old Testament were for ancient Israel, uh, not other governments. So, back to Philippians 3. Look at Paul's description of these people. You just needed all that background to really appreciate verse 2. So we got all that background, now look at verse 2. He says, watch out. He's talking about these people that want to make everyone a Jew. They say, you have to become a Jew, you have to get circumcised. He says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those men who do evil. Watch out for the mutilation. Normally, if you call someone names, like dogs and mutilation and all that, it's just for the purpose of insulting them. Not here. That's not Paul's purpose here. These names have a theological purpose here. These Judaizers... They thought all uncircumcised Gentiles were dogs. And so Paul takes their own epithet and applies it to them. They're the dogs. They're the real dogs. He's saying, these Jews who are saying everybody has to become a Jew in order to be a Christian and be saved, they're the real Gentiles. They're the real Gentiles and we're the real Jews. And then he calls them, secondly, evildoers, literally workers of evil. They talk about doing the works of the law. You've got to do the works of the law, works of the law. And Paul says those works of the law that they're doing are actually works of evil. Working the law becomes working evil when you do it in a legalistic way. By I can do this to become accepted by God. And then he calls them the mutilation. To mutilate, that's the word that was used in an Old Testament context to refer to the stuff that the pagan prophets would do. Like the prophets of Baal, remember when they start cutting themselves to make their God respond? And he's, he's, he's saying to these Jews, your circumcision is, is nothing different than pagan mutilation. So Paul takes their greatest source of pride and interpret, interprets it as the surest sign that they will have no share among God's people. So these three descriptions that Paul gives are not just insults. They're three ways of saying the same thing. The Judaizers are really the, the spiritual Gentiles. They're the outsiders. We're the true people of God. Verse 3, it's we who are the circumcision, the real circumcision. True people of God are the people who know Christ. If you know Christ, this is you. But there's a threat to that. You know Christ? Great. But there's a threat to that relationship. The threat is that somebody would come along and use the Old Testament law or some other bad teaching and confuse the issue of where you fit in the grand scheme of things as one of God's holy people. It's important that you know your role. If you know Christ and you have the righteousness of Christ credited to your account through faith, you are the true circumcision. We are the people of God who function as the body of the Messiah who is going to bring about the full, final culmination of all things. We are those who know Christ. 
Real, just realize that. So if you think that your, your life is insignificant or small, think again. If you know Christ, you are a major player in the final phases of God's glorious plan to bring all of human history and redemptive history to its final culmination. You. Okay, so what do, what do you do with people who say only the red letters count in the Bible? You know, Paul, he was, a, he was kind of, he wasn't the same as Jesus. You just, just go stick with Jesus. Or, or only Paul, um, or only the New Testament, or what, people who want to cut um, pieces out of the Scripture. What I, would, what I do is I just go to <laughs> that passage in Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for uh, training and instruction and all the rest. All of it. All Scripture. So every, what, which, which parts of the Old Testament apply today? Every part. Every word applies today. But they don't, it doesn't apply in the same way. We've got to, we've got to interpret each thing in context. For if, if something was a temporary thing, then we interpret it as a temporary thing. So if we read it, if I open my Bible and it says in Genesis, build an ark. I don't have to go out and build an ark. Right? Because that wasn't, that command wasn't made to me. It was made to Noah for a specific purpose and a, a specific time. Um, does it apply to me? Yeah, it applies to me. The principles there about uh, remaining holy and set apart from an evil world and that God will uh, destroy the, the wicked and, and preserve the righteous, that applies to me. Every word in the Bible applies to me. All the principles apply. But the specific commands, if there's a command in the Bible that somebody needs to go up to Jerusalem or wherever, I don't have to, I don't have to go to Jerusalem because it's not made to me. So, so, so we interpret things in light of the, their context. Some things are binding uh, only for certain people or for a certain time, and they're not binding on us today. But all of it applies to us because the principles apply across the board. So um, all scripture, and, and the way I would support that is no matter which scripture people pick, like if it's only Paul, then what do you do? You, you read Paul, and what is he constantly doing? He's quoting Old Testament passages to give authority to what he's saying. You know, or if uh, uh, if someone says only the red letters, only Jesus, then you look at Jesus words and what he's what is he doing? He's he's uh, referring to the Old Testament and using that as support of what he said, even though he's the son of God. And he's he's commissioning his disciples and saying, you speak my word. So there's just no way around the fact that the whole thing is. Godless. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.